Good to see you all gathered here this morning. And if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to the book of Luke and chapter number 15 is where we'll go. Book of Luke and chapter number 15. All right. Well, I hope that you're having a good Sunday morning. I hope that you, um, you know, got that extra hour of sleep. I think we could all probably find out a reason why we weren't able to get it, but um, I hope that you were able to take advantage of it. But um, let me just um, quickly, before we get to the message, just want to point out couple things if you uh, if you would just outside these doors on the table back there um, before this week is out please grab our pr- our prayer card okay um, this is a uh, this is just a little something that we put out there just has our picture on it and uh, wish a wish that my family could be here we were sort of uh, we're actually we're sort of planning on all of us coming at one point, and uh, we did, because uh, I have two little boys, our, my wife and I, we have two little guys, and uh, they are um, three and one, and we just uh, kind of realized this summer, we did a flight where all of us went down to a camp I was preaching at in Louisiana, and we realized that we are just not quite cut out for all of us going, flying somewhere uh, at one time. It was, um, and that was just, you know, a flight from, you know, maybe like a two-hour flight. That was, um, <laughs> but uh, coming from Washington, D.C., all the way out to California, I don't think they would have survived. So, uh, so, or no, we wouldn't have survived. That's me and my wife. We would not have survived. So, um, so hence, that's why my wife and our boys that would have loved to have been here. Um, but they are actually, they're out in um, Fredericksburg, Virginia. And, uh, that's where our, we, we travel around full time. And so we go to different churches during the school year and I preach in different revival meetings in different churches. Uh, during the summers go, I go and uh, speak in different camps. And uh, so they're actually at the church in Fredericksburg where I'm going to be preaching at next week. And so that's, uh, so they're already kind of set up there and uh, kind of settled in. Um, but uh, so take our prayer card and pray for us. Lots of different things you can be praying for us about on that card. Um, I send out an email once a month and tell people uh, what the Lord's doing in our ministry. Because if you pray for us, I want you to know what's going on. Uh, I don't want you to just uh, grab a prayer card. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but there were some missionaries that I have their prayer card because I met them, you know, 20 years ago. And I liked them. And I just think, I wonder where they are. You know, are they alive or, you know, I don't even know. I just don't know. And so I want you to know what's going on if we, if you pray for us. And so you can sign up to get our once a month emails that's back there on the table. And then you'll find on that table also, you'll see a bunch of music back there on that table. And um, so uh, let me just tell you a little bit about some of the music back there. This is a CD called Prepare. This is a CD that my wife and I made. And uh, so it's mostly singing with um, a piano accompaniment, but there's a couple of songs on there where we do, um, I play guitar and my wife plays Penny Whistle. So we do a couple like that. Probably about half the songs on here are songs of revival. So if that kind of thing stirs you, there's a CD back there with that kind of music on that. And then there's, um, there are seven volumes. They're called Bible Songs for Kids. What they are is they're for young children, but they're just simply Bible verses put to music. And I don't know if you ever um, remember back when you were, you know, small, you know, and I remember those days and uh, remember how it would, how quickly you could memorize something, especially if you just heard it over and over a few times. And um, I remember I had, um, I mean, like uh, Patch the Pirates were big ones that I listened to. And I I would have those whole things memorized. I would have like three-hour dramas. I could probably go, um, uh, there were these three-hour drama of um, of plays that I would listen to at night. And I had probably two-thirds of them memorized, not because I worked on them, but just because I listened to them so much. So why not get the scriptures into the minds of our children? That's a great thing to have in... Uh, in the minds of children. And so uh, uh, so there are seven volumes of uh, Bible songs for kids. They're just verses put to music. They're back there. And then there's four volumes of Bible stories for kids. And these are great as well. Um, these are great gospel tools for younger children. Um, they give the gospel very clearly in the Bible stories for kids. Um, you know, they dramatize, like this one has um, the story of Joseph and, you know, his having to forgive and the story of Jesus being born. You know, that's kind of cool coming up with Christmas coming. And then at the end, they give the gospel. And 
And so this is a great gospel tool out there as well. There's four volumes of Bible stories for kids and that whole, everything on the table, it's going to be out there all week long. Um, what you see on the table is what I have, what I <laughs> packed in the suitcase. Okay. So, um, lighten me up. I was four pounds overweight, um, in my suitcase. So I moved some of the CDs to my backpack, you know, cause they don't weigh that. And so, um, uh, so buy them up and listen, one of the things about the CDs is this is on purpose. You'll notice out there, there are no price tags out there and that is on purpose. What I want you to do is uh, there's a box back there. So if you would, if you want to take some CDs off the table, um, just put some money in the box, whatever you feel like is fair, um, to cover the costs of the CDs. Um, listen, give yourself a discount that is allowed at this. And so, um, I want you to be able to get some music into your home. So, um, just put some cash in the box back there, uh, of the, um, uh, put some cash in the box. If you don't have cash now, but you know what you want to get, you know, and there's a limited supply, grab what you need and bring the money back on Monday or Tuesday or something like that. Okay. And put something in the box. All right. Uh, but that way, um, don't tell, don't tell me you can't afford this music because you can. Okay. It is, uh, it is, uh, pr- priced just where you need to be able to afford it. So, um, uh, if you need something to encourage you, something that would be good for children or grandchildren or something, uh, it's available there. Okay. So, um, well, I hope you made it to Luke chapter 15, because if you didn't, um, that whole time that I was talking was your chance to turn there. Um, but uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke and chapter number 15, and we're going to be looking at uh, a section of scripture I think will be, uh, I think will be an encouragement to you. I think it'll be very precious to you. And um, so what we're going to do is let's look first at Luke chapter 15. We're going to go to verse number one. One of the things that, um, that is often, uh, that's in our Bibles, especially in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John is we find all kinds of things called parables. Now, what is a parable? A parable is just simply, it's a story that Jesus told to help us understand truth. Do you like stories? Do you like stories? I do. I notice, you ever notice, just think about this, especially at the fellowship tonight, the banquet, you'll notice that most of the time, you know what our conversations consist of? Stories. We're just telling each other stories. Occasionally we talk through a concept, but usually we're just telling stories of what happened in our lives. And Jesus knows that, knows how we are wired, knows what we enjoy, knows what we like. And so Jesus took time to tell us some stories to help us understand some biblical truths. And so one of the things about these parables is sometimes you have to kind of catch the metaphor and see what's supposed to represent what. And sometimes people get confused about, okay, so what, what is supposed to, what is this supposed to represent? And what are these supposed to represent? And the way, the thing to help you understand what do these different things uh, represent in Jesus' story is to look at who Jesus is talking to and what just happened that made Jesus say, I need to tell these people a story. So what happens? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Verse number one says, then drew near unto him, unto Jesus, all the publicans and sinners to hear him. Okay, so Jesus is out. He's teaching. And the Bible says, it says that publicans and sinners came to Jesus. Well, who is that? Well, publicans are, uh, that's a, um, it's a word we don't use a whole lot today. Publicans were that era's, for lack of a better way to put it, it was their tax collectors. You know, they were a blessing to a lot of people, you know, uh, tax collectors. And, uh, and so they were, um, uh, so they were the tax collectors. But the one thing about these tax collectors that was, um, particularly, um, uh, the people didn't, people of that day did not like them, not just because they were tax collector, but because they were working for the Roman empire. The nation of Israel, um, had been conquered by, along with many other lands had been conquered by the Roman empire. And so the Romans were in charge of, of, you know, of the nation of Israel and so there were a lot of, um, and so what they would do though, is they were going to, you know, collect taxes from the people that they had conquered. But one of the things they would do is they would use locals. They would use local people and use them as the tax collectors. Cause they would know the locals and know how locals would try to, you know, weasel out of their taxes. And so they would hire locals and folks, could you imagine if we had, um, if our nation was taken over by a foreign government, you know, it'd be one thing. To have to go to this, um, you know, to have to pay taxes to some, you know, some foreigner that you know, oh, they're here because they're with that, you know, that nation that just uh, conquered us and took over us. But you know what? What if you came to a tax office and you found one of your, one of your fellow Americans there working for him? You know what you would call him? Traitor. That's how the publicans were viewed. They were viewed as Jewish traitors. 
And so these publicans, these tax collectors are coming to Jesus, but it also says in verse one that the sinners were coming to Jesus. Now you might, you say, well, brother Matt, aren't we all sinners? Yes, we all are. Of course, we'll talk about that a little later, but what is this specifically referring to? Well, when, when, especially your gospels will refer to says that sinners were coming to Jesus. These were the people that were, um, you might say we're doing a lot of what society might call the bad stuff. Like what was included in the, the category of sinners? Prostitutes, gang members, um, assassins who were used to killing Romans. Oh, they're also called zealots. These were the kinds of people that would be included in the in the category of sinners. So you've got, so here's Jesus. He's got all these, um, these tax collectors. He's got prostitutes. He's got um, gang members. He's got all these people coming up to him. They want to hear the word of God. But then it says in verse number two, guess who else is there? It says that the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and he eats with them. Okay, so, okay, who are the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, these were what you might call the religious people of that day. Now, they did not, if you were to read your Bible, you'd find out they did not know God, okay? They did not know God. These people taught uh, the Pharisees and scribes, though they were very religious, though they read their Bibles a lot, they did not have relationships with God. They thought salvation, that eternal life was gained by good works. They thought it was gained by just simply their status of being a Jew, and they did not like the ministry of Jesus because Jesus came preaching as I was reading my devotions this morning Jesus came preaching saying repent repent of your sin and that was you know they thought well we don't why do we need to repent we're Jews and we do a lot of good stuff why would we need to repent of any sin so are you seeing the picture now here's Jesus tax collectors prostitutes gang members former assassins, they're all coming, and then here come, and there's you know, some kind of, we might call low lives there coming up to talk with Jesus, then here comes the religious people, or we might say these are the non-religious people, then here comes the religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're all gathered around Jesus, and so Jesus has this crowd in front of him, and you know what he wants to do is he wants them to know, he wants to give them, can we say the gospel, he wants them, uh, he wants them to see God's love for sinners. He wants them to see uh, that all of them, whether they're not religious or whether they are religious, God wanted them, especially in these parables to see every one of you is lost. And oftentimes we like to say, well, you know, well, if I'm, you know, the religious guys would say, well, I'm religious. I'm, I'm not lost. I know things about the Bible. I know all that. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you know stuff about your Bible. But Jesus gave these stories that all this group of people, this, um, ver, this uh, varied group of people, that they would all realize they are lost and in need of a Savior to save them from their sins. Thus, he gives these stories. We're actually going to skip over the first two stories that he gives. We're going to go straight to the third one, which starts in verse number 11. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 11. And uh, he, he's good, Jesus is going to give a story about a young man. I'm going to call him a boy every now and then. But he was, you know, a young man, maybe like in his uh, early 20s or something like that. And so Jesus says in verse number 11, he says, uh, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. All right, so first I want you to see this morning, I want you to see the rebellion of this son. I want you to see the rebellion of the son. What was going on here? Well, it says that in his story, a guy had two sons. That's all he had, two boys. And the Bible says that one of them, the younger son, came and said, Father, give unto me, he says, the portion of goods that falleth to me. You say, Matt, what in the world is he referring to there? What he's referring to is his inheritance. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Now, a couple things. Um, back in that culture, if you only had two sons, now we don't we don't do this in our culture today. This is what they did back then. In, the, in their culture, uh, if you only had two sons, uh, they would take, the dad would take all of his, um, you know, his, uh, his assets, his money, uh, his lands, everything he owned, and it would be divided. Two-thirds of it would go to the older son. One-third of it would go to the younger son. You say, why don't they just do half and half? 
I don't know. They would look at you and say, why don't you do two thirds and one third? You know, they would, it would be the same thing. And so that's just the way they kind of did it back then. And so this younger son who would, who has, um, when his dad passes on, is going to have uh, a third of all of his dad's assets and properties and money. A third of it is going to be his. Yet he comes to his dad and says, father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he says, in essence, he says, I want my inheritance now. Now I will tell you this. It was legal back then, it was legal to ask for your inheritance early. But I'll tell you this, sure wasn't loving. Because in essence, you know what this guy is saying? This boy is saying, Dad, you are taking too long to die. I mean, that's, that's downright sad. Downright sad. This boy says, I want my money now. And you know, like I said, it's legal. So when he asked for it, Dad had to give it. So dad, it says in, uh, in the story, it says that he, that the dad divided unto them his living. And it says, not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. You know, this boy made what I think we could all probably having this, um, this overview, looking at this story that we can all probably see this boy made a horrible decision. Because here he is, he's in a place where you could say he had everything he needed. Uh, He had security, he had comfort, he had a sense of belonging, he had family, he had food and shelter, he had his needs provided, he had a chance to work. What a, what a setup that he had, and yet he throws it all away because he wants what he wants. You know what, you know what it sounds a lot like to me? Sounds like what happened in the Garden of Eden. When God made Adam and Eve, here it is, he's created at the beginning of time, God has made the first two people, Adam and Eve, he's created them, and he sets them in a gorgeous garden called the Garden of Eden, and God sets them there and says, listen, enjoy, enjoy anything from this garden, and he said, and God set upon them one rule that said, you can eat off of any tree in this garden, only of the tree of the knowledge and good of evil, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat off of that tree, but Jesus, but God said, off of any other tree you may eat, you know, Often, you know, I preach during the summers, I preach a lot in, um, in junior camps and in teen camps. And, you know, one of the things I, I uh, bring up is that, especially to junior camps, I say, isn't this nice that in God's Garden of Eden, God only had one rule? And I, I usually, I love to ask the kids, I say, wouldn't you love it if your home had only one rule? And these kids are like, oh, that would be nice. And, uh, and so, you know, the, but then the next thing I bring up to them is I, is I tell them, you know, if your home only had one rule, though, it wouldn't be very long before you'd say, why do we have to have that one? If we're only having one, why have that one? You know why? Because that's just naturally who we are as people. We naturally rebel against authority. It's just how we're wired. You know, you say, well, that sounds a little bit, that sounds a little, uh, a little high and mighty. I don't know if I rebel against authority. Okay, let's put it a little more simple. We are Americans, which means we don't like people telling us what to do. We don't. We don't like people telling us what we will and will not do. And so we love to, we love to have our, we love our freedoms. We love our rights. And, and so we, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. And so when someone does try to tell us what to do, oftentimes our first reaction is we kind of, we kind of put up a defense and say, whoa, 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 who are you to tell me what to do? And you know what's sad is that oftentimes we look at young people and we say, oh my goodness, those young people, they're just so, they rebel against authority and we got to do something. Something about those young people, and you know, reality is, us adults, every one of us too, we have we have a problem with rebellion against authority too. You know why? Because every one of us, the Bible says, we're all sinners, which means all of us have rebelled against the authority of God, our God who has made us, our God who has created us, and He is, and He is, uh, he, especially in the Garden of Eden, He said, "Do not eat off this tree." And yet Adam and Eve sinned. And the Bible says in Romans five twelve, "Wherefore, as by one man Adam sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all." have sinned. There's not a one of us that could say, well, I've never rebelled against God. I've never sinned against God. I've never broken God's laws. Folks, the Bible is very clear. Every one of us has broken God's laws. Why? Because we're, we're born as sinners. We're naturally, our, our, our nature uh, that is within us, our nature is naturally that we sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalm 51 says that I was, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are, I mean, our, our very essence, we're born as sinners. 
You say, I don't know if I agree with that, Matt. You clearly have never had kids. <laughs> because, um, you know, I have, I have two little guys right now, and um, you don't have to do nothing. And it comes out, you know, and come, that sin nature comes out. You know, isn't it amazing? You don't have to train kids to lie. You don't have to train them to, to, uh, to steal. You don't have to train them to be unkind. You know what you do have to train them to be? You have to train them to say please, to say thank you, to be kind. You know why? Because that stuff doesn't come out naturally. You know what we are at our nature? We are sinners. Uh, we can just look at it and know it, but the Bible tells us as well, tells us that we are all sinners. Galatians 3 says Behold, that the scripture has concluded all under sin. And all of us really have rejected God because God says, listen, uh, you are a sinner. And we have pushed God away saying, you know what? I will live my own life. I will live the life. If I want to sin, I will live the way I want to. And in essence, we too have all rebelled, just like this boy rebelled against dad. We have all as well rebelled against God, our father. We have rebelled against him and, and said, we're going to, I want to live the way I want to live. And so the Bible says, this boy, he was so deceived, it says that, um, that the younger gathered all together in verse 13. It says he took his journey into a far country. And you say, well, where did he go? Well, we don't really know. But the idea that he calls, that the, the scriptures describe it as a far country probably just simply means it was a Gentile nation. Which tells us this boy was probably, you know, some kind of a Jew. Because, you know, this story takes place in Israel. So the boy's probably a Jew. And so he goes to some Gentile nation. You know why? Because there ain't no accountability out there. He can live the way he wants to live. And the Bible says in verse number 13 that there in this far country, this Gentile nation, it says he wasted his substance. That's his inheritance. He wasted his inheritance with riotous living. What the word righteous means? The word righteous, it means reckless. It means loose. And it means immoral. In fact, we get one hint on the way of living he did was verse number 30. His older brother tells us that he spent his money on harlots. And this was the lifestyle that this boy lived. He lived, he lived the classic party life. He went uh, from you know, alcohol, uh, immorality, drugs. It would have all been a part of this lifestyle, this riotous lifestyle he lived. Why? Because he thought sin would satisfy. Folks, can I tell you something? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Matt, you know, I, I don't know. I've thought about getting, getting saved. I've thought about becoming a Christian. I've thought about, um, you know, getting reconciled with God, but I just don't know if I'm ready to give up my sin yet. Hey, listen, you might be sitting there thinking, boy, sin is fun right now. Maybe one day, maybe as I get older and I'm not able to do as much, then I'll worry about my relationship with God. Listen, 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 friend. Sin will not satisfy Sin will not satisfy. Sin has a sin has a has a glamorous outside package. And when you finally get it open and get to the inside, you're disappointed. And you find broken things inside that package, not some beautiful object that it had promised was on the inside. You ever buy a product off of Amazon and you know it has this beautiful outside cover, then you get to the inside of it and you realize this thing is junk. That is what sin does. The Bible says, Proverbs 13, verse, five, verse 15 says, the way of transgressors is hard. In other words, living a lifestyle that it just pours into sin and just enjoys sin to the fullest, God says that kind of a lifestyle is a hard way to live. And some of you know exactly what that looks like because you've been there. And you could stand up here and give a way better testimony than I can of how sin makes life hard. This boy thought sin would satisfy, but it doesn't. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says the eyes of man are never satisfied. Why? Because because sin, no matter how pleasurable it may seem at the time, it always brings emptiness with an end result of a life separated from the Lord for all eternity. He thought sin would satisfy, but verse 14 says, uh, he also found out that money would not satisfy. Verse 14 says, and when he had spent all, so he spends this entire inheritance. Listen, we don't have a time frame. I don't know exactly how many weeks, how many months it took him to spend all of his inheritance. But from what we can tell, um, this dad, while he may not have been the richest in the land, dad seemed to have some money. And so son is good, probably took out a lot of money. And I guarantee you, if he took assets or, um, or livestock or anything like that, if he did, he sold it all and just, and just got cash. 
You know why? Because he thought money would satisfy. And there may be some of you sitting here today that you maybe you got invited here to church. Maybe you don't come to church a whole lot because you're too busy earning money. And maybe you've thought, you know, I, um, you know I'm going to seek after God one day. I'll figure out religion and, and a relationship with God one day. But you may be thinking, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm busy right now. I got a good job. I got a good career. I got my family. This is just the way my life is going right now. I just don't really have time for church, for God to worry about my, uh, worry about my relationship with God. I'll figure that out another time. Uh, you know, one of the things that is so sad is often, like if you're, um, I don't know if you've ever passed out tracks, passed out church brochures, but if you go into the rich end of town, usually those are the people that are like, I don't need that. You know why? Because money has convinced them, I don't need you. And I don't need your God, and I don't need your church. I got myself set. Can I tell you something, friends? Money won't satisfy. And when you are, and when you are the life, the end of life has come, and you know you're about to face death and stand before God, all that money won't be worth nothing. He found out that money would not satisfy. But this boy, he rebelled against God and uh, rebelled against his dad in this way, same way we have rebelled against God. So that's the rebellion of the son. Number two, I want you to see this. I want you to see the repentance of the son. Verse number uh, 14 says, and when he had spent all, it says, there arose a mighty famine in that land. So a famine uh, is, uh, has the idea of drought. It also has the idea that there's no food, uh, there's no crops that are coming in. And so it's a very bad time for all people living. And it says, so this famine comes into the land and it says, he began to be in want, which means he lacked. He didn't have anything. Uh, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't able to eat. He's going to start starving. So verse 15 says, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. So this Jewish boy, he finds himself a Gentile somebody and says, basically, I need a job. Can I get work at all? And so verse 15 says that the Gentile, this man, sent the boy into his fields to feed swine, pigs. Now listen, listen, listen. For a Jew, I don't know if you know this about Judaism, Jews don't touch pigs. They don't eat them. And they don't touch him. And so you want to know how low this boy had gotten? He'd gotten so low that, I mean, life was so bad that he that the only job he could do to survive and not starve to death was to go out and feed pigs. I mean, that, that, that is how rough this had gotten for this Jewish boy. And it says in verse 16, he would fain. It means he would have loved to have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And, you know, in other words, he's saying, I would have loved that, you know, because they bring out, you know, some you know, stuff for the pigs to eat. And he said he wanted to eat the husks, which is very interesting because, you know, when I think of a husk, the thing I think of is, uh, is corn. And, you know, you, you tear off that one end of the corn, you throw that away. Why? Because we can't digest that. And so when he says, I want to eat the husks, I mean, he's saying, I would, I don't even care if my body won't digest this husk, if it'll at least give me the sensation to make me think I'm eating, I want it. And I don't care if I have to dig my hand down into the muck to pull it out of the pig's food, I want it. Why? Verse 17 says, because no, uh, verse 16 says, no man gave unto him. And verse number 17 then says, and when he came to himself. The idea there means when he finally came to his senses. It's the idea that finally he's sitting there in this pig pen, wet, nasty, dirty, starving. And finally one day he says, what am I doing? What have I done? It was, the boy had to come to the absolute end, to the absolute bottom of the barrel before he would finally, before all of a sudden his attention was grabbed and he said, what am I doing? Before he finally came to his senses. Listen, listen, folks. Do you know what God does for us? Remember, Jesus is giving this story to help us understand how, how lost we are, how we need a savior from our sins. You know, um, what um, this boy, it took starving. It took shame and humiliation before, before he finally, his attention was grabbed. Hey, what's it going to take for God to get your attention that you need to get saved? What is it going to take for, for you to finally say, you know what? I should probably find out what God wants with my life. 
What's it going to take before you finally say, you know what? I've been putting off a relationship with God. You know what? I've been not worrying about <laughs> my sin. What's it going to take before God? What's God going to have to do to get your attention before you realize you need to become a Christian? That you need to ask Jesus to save you from your sins. Where is God going to have to take you? You know, it might be. I don't, I don't want to try to say that I know, but I'm just saying there are times when God allows things in your life, and the whole point of them is to grab your attention because you pushed him so far away and said, no, I, I'm enjoying my sin. No, I'm enjoying my money. And you pushed God away, and so God, finally God allows something to kind of get your attention. You know why you might have had a car crash recently? It's because God wants your attention. I don't know. That might be it, though. You know, maybe the reason why there's been a death or maybe a near death is because God wants your attention. Because you've been putting off, you've been putting off forever and ever. You said, you know, I'll worry about my relationship with God later. I don't need a savior for my sins right now. I'll deal with that another time. God says, when? Do I have your attention? You know, it's like God is saying, do I have your attention now? Is this how, uh, what we had to do for you to finally kind of wake up and come to your senses? Does God have to let your investments fail before you finally say, oh my goodness, I must not be in charge of life. Does God have to allow a sickness to come or a handicap to come before God can get your attention? This boy said in verse number 17, he said, he came to himself and said, how many of my hired servants of my father's, uh, my father have bread enough and to spare? And here I perish with hunger. Literally, he's, he's saying, my dad's servants have it better than me. And here I am, I'm starving. He says, I perish with hunger. He came to the reality and realized I'm slowly dying. This starving is killing me and it won't take forever. The boy says, I'm going to die maybe in this pig pen. You know, one of the things that God wants to get your attention about is to realize that death is a reality. Listen, you can, you can mock God. You could say, you could, you can mock God. You can mock there being a heaven. You can mock there being a hell. You can mock the Bible. You can mock uh, the church. You can mock a pastor. You can do all that. But I'll tell you what you, you can't mock is that one day you are going to die. And when you die, you, the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. One day you will stand before God. And when you stand before God, are you ready to stand before God? Because, you know, the Bible says that those, all those whose names were not written in the book of life, it says, are cast into a lake of fire. Young, uh, folks, your, your sin has a punishment attached to it. Your sin is not some excusable blip on the timeline of the universe's history, okay? Your sin has a punishment that comes with it. And the Bible says that the wages, the punishment for sin is death. That is the punishment that your sin and my sin has earned. And folks, the, the Bible says that hell, that it is a real place. The Bible says it is a place of flames. It is a place of fire. It is a place that Jesus says is real where people tonight are, or today are experiencing real pain right now. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I really believe in a hell, brother Matt. You know, uh, then uh, what you're really doing is you're calling Jesus a liar. And I'd be careful with that because Jesus said, there is a hell. And he warned you because he loves you and says, he says, actually, in Mark chapter nine, he says, uh, he says, boy, uh, if, uh, if he says, uh, if you could even chop off your hand, he said, it'd be better for you to enter into life with, no, with only one hand than have two hands to get cast into the flames of hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. In other words, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying everybody go out and chop off one of your hands. He's saying, listen, you need to do whatever it takes, whatever you have to do to make sure you, to make sure you do not go to this place called hell. He says, whatever it would take, you don't want to go there. And thank God that God did not make it hard. God did not make it complicated for a sinner like you and me to come to the glories of heaven, to escape the flames of hell, that he has provided a payment for our sins, that he has provided on the cross. That is the whole, that's really the whole point of why Jesus died on a cross. Because remember, your sin can only be paid for with death for the wages of sin is death. That's what Romans six says, which means this, because your sin can only be paid for with death, your good works won't pay for it because it's not death. Your baptism will not pay for your sins because it's not death. Your communion will not pay for your sins because that's not death. Your sacraments will not pay for sins because that's not death. 
Your church attendance, your good works, your good deeds, your Bible reading, those things will not pay for your sin because they're not death. Your, your um, being a part of a specific denomination will not pay for sins because it's not death. That is why when Jesus came, he died. Why? Because your sin has to be paid for with death. And you know, God loved you so much. He loved you so much. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only begotten son said, whosoever believeth, dependeth upon him, he says, will not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved you so much that he came and died in your place. Folks, if I can put it this way, you have two options to pay for your sins. You can pay for your own sins forever in the flames of hell, in eternal death there. Or you could let Jesus' death on the cross be the the adequate, sufficient payment for your sins. Has there been a time where you've ever, uh, where you've ever um, abandoned and, and looked away from, uh, ignored and put away, uh, not sh- put away good works and baptisms and, and, uh, and communion and sacraments and, and church attendance and, and denomination and just said, you know what, now I get it. I see all those things, they're good things, but they do not bring me, they do not pay for my sins. Has there ever been a time where you've rejected those things as the payment for your sins and you've agreed with Jesus and said, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Has there ever been a time you've rejected those ways as being a, a payment for your sins and embraced Jesus' death on the cross as the only sufficient payment for your sins? That is how a person can a person can say, well, a person who is perishing, uh, headed towards hell can say, oh, I, I now have eternal life. And I love how verse 18, the boy says, I will arise and go to my Father. Boy, this was going to be... This was going to take a lot of humility for this boy to go back to his dad and say, Dad, I was wrong and I got nothing else. I got nothing else I could say. There's no excuses. Well, Dad, I, uh, I did all this because you did this to me. He had no excuses. He said, I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father. In essence, he was going to admit that he was wrong. It's going to be humbling. You know what? One of the biggest things I notice in adults is that why adults won't ask Jesus to be their savior from their sins is because they won't humble themselves to do it. Right. You know, let me just tell you what I hear a lot of. And I heard this as a young person growing up. I hear it, still hear it sometimes now. Is I hear people say, oh, Matt, I hear what you're saying about how you need to ask Jesus to be your savior. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, this is the one I hear the most. They'll, people will say to me, but I, I, that's great. I, but I've always been Catholic. And you know what I think? That's nice. You need to ask Jesus to save you from your sins. I grew up in uh, part of my time in Wisconsin where there's a bunch of Lutherans, Lutheran churches. And I'd hear out there, you know what I'd hear? Well, that's nice, but I've always been Lutheran. That's nice. You need to ask Jesus to save you from your sins. Where where are we at? We're in a Baptist church. I've always, you know, I've always been in Baptist churches, growing up in Baptist churches. Guess what? You people will say, well, I've always been in the Baptist church. That's nice. You need to ask Jesus to save you from your sins. But, and you know what happens often is people will not humble themselves and say, oh my goodness, this boy came to the realization and said, I was wrong. Friend, if you won't come there and realize I've been wrong, maybe you say, I used to think it was good works. I used to think it was my baptism. I used to think it was my denomination. I used to think it was my church attendance. And, and if you're not willing to come to God and say, God, I was wrong. <laughs> I didn't realize this. Folks, there's no forgiveness. But what's about to happen is, oh, this boy is about to see some forgiveness. He saw his own unworthiness. Verse 18, he says, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He had this whole speech prepared, you know, of, um, you know, when you're in trouble and you want to kind of make this right, you had kind of a speech prepared, what you want to make sure you cover. He had a little speech prepared to cover everything. And I love how he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, um, none of us is worthy of God the Father forgiving us of our sins. It is of his gracious kindness that he forgives people like us. It is not based on our potential to do better in the future. His salvation and forgiveness of sins is not based on how much good have we done in our past or how much bad have we done in our past. His forgiveness of sins is based on that's just what God loves to do for sinners. And that's a good thing. 
That's a really good thing. And so notice here, the last thing we'll see is the reception of the son. Notice what happens. This is probably my favorite part is getting to what the dad and how he receives the boy. So it says in verse number 20 that the boy arose, came to his father when he was yet a great way off. It says his father saw him, had compassion, ran and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So notice one thing. It says that the, that the dad saw him, which means this, dad was looking for the boy. You know, oftentimes we think, and by the way, if you have not caught this yet, okay, boy in the story represents you and me, okay? Dad in the story represents God. You know, oftentimes we think of God as being up in heaven, holding a hammer or a lightning bolt, and just being like, come on, come on, sin one more time, one more time, one more time, one more time, come on, come on, come on, bam, there, there, got rid of another sinner. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just saying a lot of times that's how we view God. That he is in heaven with a lightning bolt or a hammer, just hoping we'll make one more mistake so he can crush us and send us to hell. (laughs) Folks, that ain't how our God is. You want to read your Bible instead of I don't know what you're reading and realize this is that when God looks at sinners, he looks at them with compassion and he is looking and waiting on you. His, his, His desire is saying, come on, come on, come home. Come on, come on, come, 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 come home. I'm not looking to punish you. I'm not looking to destroy you. I want to forgive you. You know what this dad was raring to do? He was all fired up and excited and just waiting every day to be able to forgive his son. He was not waiting there. Oh, good, son's coming. Get me, give me the whip. He wasn't waiting for that. He was saying, oh, good, my son's coming home. I can forgive him now. And the son was waiting, and the dad was waiting. He, and then the Bible says, oh, look at this. It says that when... He saw him, he had compassion, it says, and ran. Listen, folks, I didn't realize this until I started reading about this. Did you know that in this culture, it was undignified for an old man to run? Like, they didn't do it. Old men, older men, they would wear these uh, very long flowing robes, and older men walked everywhere. You didn't rush them. And they would just walk everywhere and they would, you know, and so because if you were, um, if you were going to run and you're wearing these long flowing robes, you'd have to, just this is what it is, you have to grab these robes at the very bottom, pull them kind of way up here. And if you're going to run, they're going to kind of flap around. And that's going to be very embarrassing for a, um, for an elderly, patriarchal, older man. And that's just something, it's just an undignified thing. Older men never ran. You know what this dad said? I don't care. I don't care because he said, my son's coming home. And this dad was so excited about forgiving his son that he didn't care what other people thought. He rushed to his son to, in order that he might embrace him and forgive him. Can I tell you something, folks? God is never in a hurry unless it's running to sinners who want to ask forgiveness of their sins. He, God's favorite, I think God's favorite thing to do is to rush to sinners who are rushing towards repentant sinners who want to get right with God. And then notice it also says in verse number 20, it says then that he ran to him and it says, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. You know, a couple things come to my mind. Number one, dad was not, did not care that this boy had been with the pigs. A lot of Jewish dads would say, whoa, have you touched, have you touched pigs? But dad said, I don't care how bad it's been. If you're willing to repent, I want to forgive you. Do you know that God's attitude towards you is, I don't care how far you've gone and how deep it's gotten. God says, if you're willing to repent of your sin, God says, I want to forgive. I want to forgive. No matter how deep, how bad it's gotten. But notice also, it says that he threw his arms around his neck. You say, okay, yeah, he gave him a hug, right? Well, he did. But why would he do it this way? It has the idea that the dad almost jumped on top of him and covered him up. Why would he do that? Here's why. I read about this is that in that culture, you know, those people that neighbors, everyone, everyone would have known that that boy had left and they would have known that boy took his whole inheritance. And you know that actually back in this culture, if those neighbors had cited that boy, it would have been normal and accepted for those neighbors to go grab that boy and stone him and kill him for his disrespect to his dad. 
That was normal in that culture back then. So you know what this dad was doing? In essence, as this boy's coming down this road, before any neighbors could see him, before any neighbors could, could accuse him and attack him, the dad ran to his boy and covered him with his own arms. In essence, because doing that, the neighbors, aren't they're not going to throw rocks at the boy because they might hit the dad. So in essence, this dad had covered up his son and is, and is saying, don't throw any stones. His offenses were not against you. They were against me and I forgive him. Folks, that is exactly what our God is. That even though you have sinned and offended God so many times that even though, even though Satan loves, Satan's goal, his joy is to try to accuse us before God and say, oh God, you can't, can't let that guy into heaven. He's, he sinned so much. And Jesus is there as our advocate saying, no, 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 his sins were not against you, Satan. They were against me and I forgave him. And that's what God wants to do with you. See, he wants to forgive your sins. God the Father is not out looking to hurt you. He is looking to, to save you. And the Bible says that this boy said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. And he doesn't get to finish his speech. And verse 22, dad said to the servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, get shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Oh, the, the joy that came when the boy came home. Can I tell you what would be in the Bible, even here in Luke, uh, in the book of Luke chapter 15 says that there is joy in the presence of God and in the angels when one sinner repents of their sin. Do you know what would bring God the greatest joy that he could have today is if you, you no matter how far you've gone into sin, no matter how much, you, how much money you've accumulated for yourself that you said, oh God, I don't need you in my life, whatever it is, you know, the greatest joy God would have is if you will, if you will repent of your sins and stop, stop trusting in baptism and stop trusting in good works, stop trusting in denominations to save you from your sins. If you'll turn and trust Jesus alone to save you from your sins, hey, listen, God is abundantly ready to forgive. Hey, has that ever happened for you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you finally came to the realization and said, whoa, 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 Lord, I, I finally see myself for the sinner that you say I am. And I see that my sin ought to be punished. I, you know what? I'm, I'm rejecting all that other stuff, those good works, baptism, all that. God, I want you to save me from my sins. The Bible says, Colossians 1.14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And Romans 10 says that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from God that if you're willing to admit your sin, admit that your sin deserves to be punished and accept Jesus' death on the cross as the only sufficient payment for your sins, and if you'll ask him for that forgiveness, you know what God says? I'll do it. Not because of how good you're going to be in the future. Not because of your potential of what you might be able to accomplish in the future. Not because of how much or little you've done in your past. No, God says we're not talking about past or future right now. God says he is willing to forgive you of your sins. 2 Corinthians 6 says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Because we don't know if we have tomorrow. So has there been a time, adults, has there been a time in your life where you've put your trust on Jesus alone to save you from your sins. What's God going to have to do? I hope he's gotten your attention this morning. Will you humble yourself as many in this room have had to do and receive Jesus as your savior from your sins? Will you do that this morning? Or do you still want to wait? I hope you'll do that this morning. In fact, we want to give you a chance to do that this morning. So let's do this. Let's, let's have everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. Just, just kind of like we're praying, but we won't pray just yet. Uh, just heads down and eyes closed. Just out of a little bit of privacy for the moment. Let me ask a couple of questions. These are raise your hand questions, okay? Um, so here's a couple of questions. One, how many of you this morning can say, by, this is by raising your hand, how many of you can say this morning, Matt, if I was to die today, I've already asked Jesus to be my savior from my sins. I've already asked him to do that. If I was to die today, I'm on my way to heaven. I have eternal life because I've asked Jesus to forgive my sins already. How many of you can raise your hand and say, Matt, I've already done that in my life? How many of you can raise your hand? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Oh man, lots of hands. Yeah, put them down, put them down. Wonderful. Lots of hands. Praise the Lord. Okay. 
Now, maybe not everyone could raise your hand. I couldn't see, I mean, I couldn't see everyone. I, I just, I, I saw a sea of hands. That's, that's wonderful. But maybe you were in, you're in a little pocket here and you know, you know that you haven't asked Jesus to save you from your sins. Hey, today's the day for that. So here's my other question. How many of you would say this morning, Matt, if I was to die today, I am not sure that my sins are forgiven. I am not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm concerned about that this morning. Would you raise your hand? Is there anyone like that all across this room? Yes, sir, you can put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else at all? You say, I'm not sure my sins are forgiven, just not sure, and I'm concerned about it. Anyone else like that? Okay, then what we're going to do is this. Um, you know, let's do, let's do this. You can, um, you can all look this way. Why don't you look this way? What we're going to do is two things here at our invitation. One is that um, uh, we're going to have a, little bit, uh, a song here to close our service. And while that song is being sung, two things, two things can happen. One, Pastor Dean is going to be down here. Okay? And he's going to be down here. And if you, have ne- if you are not sure that your sins are forgiven, if you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, let's get that settled. Okay? So one thing you can do is you can walk right down the aisle, walk right up to him and say, help me out because I, I got to get this settled. And he will get you, put, he will get you to the side. Uh, maybe your lady, he will want to talk with a lady, he'll get a lady to talk with you. Okay? We'll get you with a counselor so we can get those questions answered. Here's the other part of our invitation this morning. Some of you, some of you are here and um, there are some people, very important people, precious people in your life that right now are playing the role of the boy. They're far from God. Folks, I don't know about you, but one thing that this story encourages me is to realize that God is not indifferent to your unsaved loved one's sinfulness and their rejection of God. God is not saying, if that's what he wants to do, well, I guess I'll just, uh, I guess we're not going to reconcile. No, no, no. Realize something. God is on the edge of his seat waiting and willing to forgive your loved one. So I'll tell you what some of you might need to do this morning is I would encourage you, they, the, the old time preachers used to call it the mourner's bench. As some of you this morning, maybe you ought to come right up on here to the front or maybe if there's not room, maybe you need to bow in your seat. There may be someone that you know that is far from God and needs to come home, that needs to get saved. Why don't you get on your knees this morning and pray for them? Maybe you know someone who's right here in this church. That was the way my church was for a long time. We had a guy that came to our church that, oh my goodness, he needed God so bad. And tell you what, it took five years of praying, but we saw God change his life. So um, if, as long as God isn't dead, the game ain't over. And God can still work in that person's heart because God is on edge, ready to run to that person if they'll repent of their sin. Why don't you pray that God will bring them to their senses, that God will bring them to the end of themselves. I don't, in our church, that's what happened to that guy. God literally brought him to the end of himself until he was ready to accept Jesus. Well, for him, it was to get right with God. God can do that for your loved one too. So let's go ahead and, um, well, the pastor will, if you'll come on ahead and uh, tell us what we'll do with the music. And, but those are the two things. If you need to ask Jesus to be your savior, or if you need to just say, I'm just not sure on this. I got to, I got to figure this out. You come on down the aisle and get, run up to Pat, walk up to pastor. He'll, he'll talk with you. We'll get this settled this morning. But man, if you just need to come on down and have prayer for some loved ones, let's do that this morning. For God, God is abundantly willing to pardon and forgive, okay? Pastor, come on in.